And welcome to PodPod, the podcast all about podcasting for podcasters. I'm Rihanna Dillon, and I am joined by Adam Shepherd, editor of PodPod, and Matt Hill, who runs Rethink Audio and is the co-founder of the British Podcast Awards. Hello, both. Hello. Hello. Hi. Okay, so what's been going on this week, Matt? Well, very exciting. We have the launch of the British Podcast Awards 2023. And it is bigger, better than ever, as ever. I always say that every year, um, but it's it's always true. (laughs) And it always is, yeah. Lots of really exciting things planned. It's also, crucially, as, you know, anyone who hears the words, we're open for entries... Well, you know, that's a little sinking feeling in your heart. Oh, no, I've got to try and get those entries together. It's fine. You've got the areas as well. Don't worry. You can reuse some of that. But, um, <laughs> but there is a longer period to put in your entries together this time. So there'll be a kind of early bird entry and then there'll be um, a longer period. So you can really kind of hone over the next couple of months to kind of get those entries really really good yes and we'll have lots of lovely workshops and tutorials about how to bag an award and i'm sure adam and the PodPod team will be uh, doing a lot of those on podpod.com as well yes we've got some exciting new categories for this year as well across every conceivable facet of podcasting uh, so yeah do do get your entries in for that this week we've also launched PodPod's faces to watch Award, which is a collection of the sort of most exciting professionals working in podcasting, all of the up and comers and trailblazers who are really setting the tone and reinvigorating the podcast world. So entries for that are now open. We are encouraging everyone from across the industry to submit nominations, whether you're in podcast creation, editing, network development, whether you're in planning, whether you're in podcast advertising, sales, presenting presenting absolutely (laughs) and so are we putting in a pod pod entry for this (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think I think there might be a slight conflict of interest there. Uh, what do you mean? You can absolutely win your own awards, right? <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, but I do feel that one of the exciting things about podcasting um, generally as an industry is that we take some of the best talent from other people, um, mm. from other industries, uh, and bring and them into this quite them. liberating... <laughs> yeah, steal them wholehearted. So it's really lovely to see when we did the Rising Star Award last year, um, the awards, like people who are coming from film and TV and music and journalism, you know, coming into the podcast industry and making it their home because they know how creative it is. And none more so than today's guest. That's right, Rihanna. I've taken your role that was for a brilliant. second. I'm so Masterfully you did. executed link. TV historian <laughs> turned podcaster extraordinaire and business owner, Dan. Everyone say it together. Snow. Snow. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, I can see why we're not entering this podcast. Um, <laughs> I've sort of made myself laugh with such a hackneyed. That's that's amazing. I think, we should just, I think we should just cut it there and use that as the reason, frankly. <laughs> Rihanna, you're fired. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it, it, that is a really interesting point, though. This does come up time and again about how the podcast industry is essentially poaching broadcasters. Um, but I think for very mm. good reason, and Dan... It very openly goes into this, uh, which is uh, one of the many really fascinating things that he talks about. Um, what a lovely guy. He seems to be obsessed mm. with age. I think he thought that I was maybe uh, a teenager, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's just that you've got a brilliant light there. Uh, yeah. I also think, Thanks, actually, having having worked uh, for a number of years with um, Fern Cotton on Happy Place, you know, and developing that show with her, the like the similarities between them, you know, you can sort of see two two people who had a very established broadcast career, but feeling creatively hemmed in, or sort of like having to compromise on their vision. Um, or not being given the opportunity to do the kind of work they were interested in, um, sort of branching out, being entrepreneurs, and finding, like, as with a lot of people we've interviewed on the show, that the podcast uh, space is a great one as a kind of life raft to take you somewhere else and to d- discover, like, what you really can achieve. So, again, yeah, really, really interesting conversation. 
So here he is, Dan Snow, talking all about how to grow your podcast network. Hi, Dan Snow. Welcome to PodPod. Thank you very much for having me on. This is very exciting. I'm really, really pleased to have the opportunity to talk to you because I feel like there's a lot to delve into with History Hit. Not just a podcast. Definitely not just that anymore. There is so much. It's a lifestyle choice. Yeah, so that's right. <laughs> I, and it's, well, it's a great pleasure to be allowed to come on and talk about my my strange hobby that turned into a, a real <laughs> thing, a real business with actual people working in an actual building. It's cool. That is the best, best kind of job, isn't it? Hobby to career. So it was a podcast and then it became a network and now it's a streaming platform. So can you talk us through the uh, the successes of how you managed to grow it from a podcast? Well, even more strangely, I mean, it really kind of grew as a sort of um, Twitter slash Instagram social media presence. I just wanted to, st- I just knew the internet was happening and I was stuck on the BBC and I was making shows when people asked me to make shows. And I was having a lovely life and a really good time in my, in my late 20s, but I was aware that things were going on. I was watching all these like YouTubers who everyone laughed at initially. You're too young to remember this, but everyone sort of laughed at them and was very snobbish about them and thought they were really charts of stupid and simple. And they started like getting 100,000 subscribers and a million, a billion, million, million. And I was like, hang on a minute. And so I just thought, I got to, I want to do something. I was resource constrained and time constrained as well. And and I was I was working on telly after all. I thought I was a kind of big deal. But I did sort of, so I started this little, I just called a Facebook page, History Hit, and I just posted articles and, and pictures and things on there and thoughts like everybody else and but I, I couldn't pivot to it really and then the podcast came along you know it was suggested to me the, the success of Serial people might remember that meant suddenly mm. everyone was looking and thinking about podcasts mm-hmm. and that had revenue with it you know it's it great fun sort of going viral uh, if you like or being widely shared on some of those traditional social media platforms but the podcast is the first time someone actually I, I thought hang on someone might actually give me 10 pounds if I if I record my voice and put it into this machine and so that was 2015 and that went pretty well and we were still just about early enough that we kind of got to jump on most people and and um mm-hmm. there weren't that many pods compared to now around so I think we we were lucky pure luck and got really you know it got quite big quite quickly so it found an audience Netflix was having its moment in a, at around about the same time and we thought, and actually not just me, but lots of people in the industry are thinking, oh, maybe subscription video is the way to go. And it doesn't look quite that simple anymore, but we managed to get some traction. We've now got tens of thousands of paying subscribers on the video channel, majority of which are in the States, which is nice. So we now you know, serve as predominantly US consumer base, which is a weird thing. We have to keep kind of reminding ourselves in the office and leads to some really interesting discussions about like, what do we think they want? <laughs> Does anyone know? Who knows what Americans want? Does it actually impact the content that you put out then? We have decided that it doesn't. We've got some theories and we've done some asking around and, and polling the audience and, and, and surveying and stuff. We think that actually if you're in North America and you want to watch massive maybe World War II shows or massive things about Vietnam or you can find that locally. Mm-hmm. What you can't find is like interesting, clever people taking you around Amberlynn's house, like mm-hmm. in, a, in a non-insane kind of way and or in a non-kind of conspiracy theory kind of aliens way. So we, we do think that that underserved, and, and yet America is absolutely full of phenomenally intelligent people who've done liberal arts degrees and history is a huge undergraduate course in America. So we just felt that particularly in, in Britain a little bit as well, but particularly in America, they were being underserved as an audience. And yes, mm-hmm. there's the odd mega Netflix show that goes out, which kind of kind of blitzkrieg just saturates that space for a week or two but regular regular shows on you know medieval history castles european history we do a bit of american history now it doesn't seem to perform any better or worse oddly we've been, we were hoping that it, we'd see some clear evidence but it doesn't seem to perform any better or worse than our than our european shows so we just think it's a it's about like having a unique sort of authentic voice right so if you've got professor susanna lipscomb walking around Anne Boleyn's childhood house going i'm the world's leading authority on this this is how it all went down the americans love the Tudors, they love Anne Boleyn. So that makes sense, right? And that you can't actually get that piece of content in North America. It's a weird thing. You can't get it. The big broadcast at like the History Channel kind of moved away from history a bit. So we, we slid in there and we, we yeah, we, it's really exciting. And, and obviously, the best thing about starting a business, as I'm learning, is that, you know, as as you get more resource, you get more resource, right? So suddenly you, you, you know, initially it was, we, we were 
bootstrapping it and calling in favors and shooting mm-hmm. on phones and all those kind of crazy early things you do and we just about got to some scale and we just had to hit the kind of to hold ourselves over the next thing you know now our programs look like they do on the tv uh, and they've got you know <laughs> visual effects and stuff so it's, it's wonderful and we've got a team of 50 people in-house wow. it's been really fun building an in-house team actually because as someone who's grown up with freelancers as you guys know, you make great friends and you swear eternal friendship and brotherhood and sisterhood to each other. And then you all disappear off into the next job. And what's great yeah. is that we've got this really fun team of young people who we're like developing, you know, and we're teaching them and some of them are becoming presenters and some of them are becoming great directors and some of them are learning to shoot. It's old school. It's like a 1970s newsroom. We're kind of developing talent internally. And I love that. It's like, weirdly, I think it's the thing I enjoy most. You've just kind of like gone through about half of sorry. my questions I know, I in one answer, so which sorry. is brilliant. So no, I love it. And we're going to come back to some of those. I want to delve into that a little bit more because we've only scratched the surface. But just for those who don't know about History Hit, can you just quickly outline yes. all of the different things that it currently provides? I will go back and answer your original question in, no, th- no. in 30 seconds. <laughs> Stand by. Sorry, Rihanna. No, this is brilliant, Dan. History Hit is an, an online digital history publisher an online digital history platform so we've got a website there's a million uniques every you know a huge number of people come to the website we have got eight i think it is podcasts now some of them doing ridiculously well uh, um we got an ancient history podcast for example that we grew with it with a guy in the office who just loves ancient history he was kind of annoying in the office and we said i'll oh, just go and do a bloody podcast <laughs> if you want and now it's just bonkers like you know millions of people listen to that we got a medieval one we got so we got the ancient one medieval one american one a scientific one scientific history with dallas Cam. So working with established talent, really, really interesting people and and those thankfully doing, doing well. We then also have a TV channel, as Forbes put it, a Netflix for history. So you get a subscription video on demand channel. It's available on uh, online but also on third-party platforms so samsung and and amazon things like that so people can subscribe either direct with us or they they can subscribe you know through their existing providers uh and and that's us and then and then we we have this year made some old-fashioned tv for uk broadcasters as well if we want we can do that so we're pretty light on our feet and, and we can what's nice is we we've partnered up with things like tourist boards, things like the Mayflower, the famous ship that sailed across to America and is often seen as the sort of, but it's the emblem of, of English and British settlement into North America. They, they had their 400th anniversary, so we became their kind of media partner and we produced mm-hmm. lots of content for them and short form, long form. So we have kind of a, 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 a branded sort of section as well. And then obviously all your social platforms, all your TikToking and, uh, and Instagramming and YouTube. YouTube's been a big success. We've just grown it to 600,000 followers in the space of a year, which, can, which I never thought. I tell you, the one lesson of my experience in business is um, you always think you're too late. Always think yeah. you're too late. And it's that Chinese expression, you know, the, the the best time to plant a tree, yeah, it's five years ago. Obviously, the best time to plant a tree is five years ago. But the second best time is right now, right? So just <laughs> if you've got plans, folks, listen to this, just get them done. When we, we started the YouTube channel, I was like, guys, YouTube, what are you talking about? The, the YouTube is a thing that happened 15 years ago. The big the big channels are big. You, you don't, I don't think you can't, and actually I was, I was very happy as ever to be completely wrong. The, the team have just, you know, it's a, it's a real presence on, on YouTube now and it's getting bigger all the time and, and that's great. And that brings in nice revenue as well, pays itself, so that's great. Someone else who was there for the early days of podcasting is Matt, actually. So, Matt? I am clearly as successful as you, Dan, of course. <laughs> if you were there in the early days, you must have been a school, school child, buddy, because you're far too young to well, I think what's interesting for me, I mean, listen to you talk particularly about um, that in- initial bootstrapping and those kind of initial waves. I think that's something that we all kind of, there's uh, quite a few uh, small businesses and uh, startups that have formed out of the podcast market. It's, it's clearly the most entrepreneurial bit of the media right now. From your perspective, having got to a place where you can actually look at your workforce and go, I've got the resource and I can do, I can plan the next big thing. What advice would you give to those coming up behind in terms of like psychologically as the leader of a company, do you think you wish you could have told yourself in those bootstrapping days? Well, that is really interesting. I I think there's a, the the sort of operational things, I'd say it's important to, to make sure, like get the individuals are important, right? You can often, you know, that when you're, when you're founders, when you're starting out, you can fall. Communication is so important at those those opening those opening moves, those opening moments of a company, and make sure you're all clear on what you want out of it, what you want to achieve together. So your relationships with your other key founders or start sort of the people you're doing it alongside, I think, are really important. And you can slightly kind of 
gloss over those if you're on the pub together and go, let's do this. And so that's, I think, really good to get sorted and, and sort of, in a way, like formalised, maybe before you even think you have to. The other thing I would say operationally is, yeah, you, you, it's so hard not having any chips to put on the board, right? You're just like desperate to launch your YouTube channel. You're desperate to make a bit of better content. You best try, I don't know, a, new, a little new format for your Facebook or your YouTube video. And you think, well, I don't know if we haven't got any money. Like I don't, so that, that's the thing that's really hard. And I don't have a clever answer to that other than keep being as efficient as you can. Keep, keep putting one foot in front of another. And, and if you can't do the big thing you want to do, just do small bits. Try and, and, then, and then when you do get that feedback, something works. It's so electrifying. It's so exciting. I would also say, like, if you believe in it, don't be put... Like, I, I almost gave up in a way. It was so brutal. Like, when, it, when you have just nothing works. And even when you try and execute something well, it's so hard to execute things. Like, oh, look, we've, we're working with this cool archaeologist who's discovered this cool body this should be an easy thing to do and then you know the person in the office like forgot where we'd put the drive with the thing. you know like all those silly things when you're small <laughs> and that's fine it's we all do it and i've lost my phone or whatever they, with, with the with the you know password mm. on it whatever it's like but <laughs> yeah. you, you tr- keep keep the faith you know look at look at your evidence be be objective of course but if you think there's something there like don't be afraid to go through tough times and remember that there's um the dream's worth it. i guess that's one thing is i remember kind of just being uh, coming trudging back from some humiliating failure it was the early, early on and just thinking god one day wouldn't it be amazing to the dream here which is worth having is for me as a creative person it's like self-commissioning right you basically mm-hmm. get up in the morning and say i'm gonna go and make a program about a shipwreck that's off the coast sounds interesting You're not having anyone's permission to do it no schedulers mm-hmm. or commissioners or editors or that's what kept me putting one foot in front of another weirdly mm-hmm. just that and, and now that's come to pass like it's just so exciting and brilliant and and it's it's as good as i, I you know it's as good as i hoped it would feel that's the nice thing about it. When, when, That's really nice. You know, yeah, it is. It's, 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 I'm having such a great time. I, I've never been happier professionally. You know, all the, all the old cliches that are in all the books. But, you know, one of them is, um, you know, if it, if it was easy, someone else would do it, right? And, and it's so mm-hmm. it was hard. Like, it was, it, was, it was touch and go at times. But that's okay, because that's what it's meant to be like. What was the step on your business plan that, got, that made you think, oh, okay, we're going to be all right now? Like, what was the moment where that, felt like that that extra bit of revenue or that little new product made it happen yeah that's a very good question i, th- I think it's that when we, we we saw that as we did get more ambitious and try and create better content and then advertise that content on social platforms we did see numbers of subscribers tick up like it's for me it's weird it's it, i don't know if this may be just me but it's about establishing that link between effort and outcome like sometimes you're just terrified you're going to launch a whole new service and no one's going to even care or do it so it's that idea that when you do spend a bit more money when you do put that more effort when you do that people notice and and like making something better works like i was terrified we'd make better programs and still no one would come to them you know and instead instead actually there was a real correlation between the quality of content we're producing and and our attractiveness to subscribers like that was a cool link i know it sounds ridiculous but it it, you know it wasn't not necessarily the case because the internet's a big place they might not have found us people might not like history but actually we discovered that when we really you know did a d-day program and we did a little season we found some archive we could use we voiced this we did that we've worked all night we and then we marketed it well and and, and sort of used what we learned about facebook ads or whatever and, and we're like oh that worked and then it makes you think well hang on d-day's every year so all we got to do each year is just go june the 6th we go so now every year we added like a piece of content to that and then you have a, a it gets richer and bigger and better every year and mm. So, so it's, it sounds ridiculous, but it was establishing the link that there were levers we could pull. And, and it wasn't just anarchic and hopeless. And, you know, you might get swept up to the heights or you might get dashed down to the bottom, you know. But actually, no, there are levers you can pull here. And when we pulled them, we noticed very slight gradual incline. And we're like, that's good. Mm-hmm. Let's just pull those harder. And, and so it's those moments in 2019, 2020 that I'll never forget when we look at each other and be like, I think, I think this worked. <laughs> when did you realize that you could move on to something else something new add something to all of the multiple things that you were doing already when did you know that this was the right time to expand to the next thing i'd have old-fashioned tv career in fact it was always kind of weird. i'm old enough that like i was on tv 
doing. Can I just say, Dad, you're not old. Okay, you're, no, no, I know. What, okay, well, you're, I keep talking you're about in that. your forties. I'm very young. In fact, <laughs> I'm very young. You're right. But no. So I weirdly, I started my career like five years before Facebook launched. I think it was YouTube 2006. I think, yeah, so it's like just, so I was in that last era where if you wanted to watch video content, you pretty much had to turn on the telly box and watch it. Yeah. And like, I was on, I was on the BBC. I was on Discovery in the US. I was like, I had an actual career. Like I was kind of an interesting TV presenter. And I remember all these things happening then when I was thinking, wow, I'm so cool. And then I was thinking, hmm, What's going on here? I was a digital native. Like I'd actually had email at university. Like I'd had devices and things. Like they didn't have video on them, but like I, I was a, I was yeah, I was somebody grown up doing digital. Just, and I was aware that like this is madness. Like on demand is obviously what like none of this none of this makes. My first, I remember my second ever program went out on Boobs Two against the Olympic opening ceremony, and the next day in the newspaper I walked past a shop and on the front page of the newspaper it said record TV audience tune in for Olympic opening ceremony. I'm like, yeah, pity the girl on BBC Two. Yeah, that's on BBC One, right? And I remember thinking, this is wild. I just spent a year of my life making that show. We were travelling and having adventures and hauling cars out of riverbeds and then no one watched the show and I'm like that doesn't work for me like that's not a good way to spend your life so I was very clear from the beginning and which is why I was always doing weird stuff. I was always trying to make little videos for museums and trying to get, and always like pitching weird things to the Imperial War Museum. And no one got it and no one wanted to invest money in it. I completely understand, but no one was like, you're right, here's a hundred grand, go and make five documentaries about the First World War and we'll stick it on our website. Like, I, I understand why no one did that. I would say, though, that if some of those pitches had worked, we'd be sitting on like monumentally large social media platforms now. But I'm glad they didn't work because. I then eventually just had, I've got to do this myself. Like I've just got to, and podcasts in 2014, 15 became a way where you could do it yourself and actually someone was going to pay you money, you know? So it's not, it's not that terrible thing of creating, like, I, you know, an idiot like I was. I was on Twitter, like being like, oh, please myself, because I was going viral and like trending all this. Like, no one ever gave me one penny. No one ever gave me a penny on Twitter. <laughs> like, you know, literally never. And, and so I was like, this is, I'm on the wrong, I need to get on a platform where you can, enjoy success and then someone's going to pay for your producer and a microphone and what you know whatever it might be mm. so I yeah it was just it was that time and I and also I was getting I was having young kids the, the shine was coming off tv presenting a bit so I thought I've got to try and mm-hmm. take some control in my life here and that led to that led to this adventure in terms of all of the different things that you do what do you find takes up the most time and is it worth it in terms of revenue and audience subscribers and all the rest of that well, you know, I, that's a very good question. I haven't really thought about it. I feel like yeah, I'm in a life coaching session here, which I'm very grateful for, because that's a very good... I'm suddenly, <laughs> you've literally suddenly made me go, hang on a minute. So the most time... I think the most time is still the podcast, because I'm yeah. creative director of history, as well as still hosting one of its podcasts. And, you know, you have to try and read books and have thoughts and be interesting when historians come on and, and have, know what they're talking about and stuff. So actually, I, I do think that takes a, a lot of my time. But it's very seasonal because then if we do launch into a big TV project, as you guys know, then suddenly you're just like on the road for three weeks, don't do anything else, completely obsessed, don't have time to, you know, talk to your family, discover that your house has fallen down in the meantime, go back, <laughs> your wife has left you, all that kind of stuff. So, so actually there are super intense periods where you're away with on, on TV work that are all encompassing. And also hustling, like I'm a hustler, so... My job now as creative director is like a couple of weeks ago, there was a story about some human remains found at the battlefield of Waterloo. And I was like, that's, I want to, that's, we got to be that, we're going to be the partner for that. We're going to break that news to the rest of the media. And it went well, it got in several newspapers, it was widely shared. And, and so that was like, we got the archaeologists came to us because they 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 liked us. We've worked with them before. We did the right thing by them. They they approved of the way that we handled their their content, and their ideas. We celebrated their work in an appropriate way, and so people come back again. So I'm calling, I'm emailing, I'm I'm checking in on people who I know are digging up shipwrecks, finding treasure, finding metal detecting. So in in US, Canada, here, Europe. So I'm doing a lot of that, and that's great. When you're small like us. We live or die, I think, by our earned marketing. So like our earned PR. So we're, you know, when we're in the Times, okay, like history hit of another another story on history hit this week is that um, they've discovered, you know, a team that they're involved in has discovered um, a battlefield for the American War of Independence. And I think that's where people are just going to take us more seriously. And if we keep creating news and being shared in, in other media outlets, you know, without us having to pay Mark Zuckerberg lots of money for it, I think that's, so that, that's what I see as kind of a really important role for me at the moment. 
What do you find is the easiest way of growing your subscribers? Like, you know, there must be some sort of flow where people find you either through the podcast, through the YouTube channel. What do you find is probably the the easiest way that people have of accessing you? For our TV subscribers, you know, Facebook traditionally better than Twitter, better than Instagram, mm-hmm. TikTok. We've just gone live with TikTok ads, which are working. Oh, um, I was a little bit surprised by that, but yeah, that's great. Another, as you'll be hearing from this interview, I'm just basically constantly wandering around shocked. I mean, the key thing, of course, and the other great thing about growing to scale is you start hiring people, right? You start employing people cleverer than you are. And that's the joy of it. So I now walk into the office, I'm like, oh, hello, dozens of people who are absolutely brilliant at what you do. Who I've got no idea how I would do that job if I was like, that's what you want. It's amazing. And, and it's, you know, it's a force multiplying, but B, it's, yeah, it's very rewarding because you're just surrounded by really good people who are digital marketing, for example. We got a little digital marketing department and, they, and they're just, they're learning all the time. You know, traditional ads on Facebook, TikTok. Initially, we actually went to, we went to in-person events. And we got that advice mm-hmm. from someone who started a kind of pony or a sort of horse, a horsey channel, SVOD, which is, you know, go go to the people, like just grab them, get them in a headlock and just go, please subscribe to this thing. And so we would go to some history festivals and Duxford air shows. And actually that does help you get to a bit. Clearly that's not sort of scalable on one level because you can't sort mm-hmm. of just get, but I, I felt that got us a, a chunk of subscribers. And my gut is they're going to be stickier, those subscribers. They're less likely to churn because they've met you. They've looked in your eye. They've hung out with the team. They've seen us all at the on the stall and we've told them about our future plans. So I, I do think that initially was quite good, actually, the in-person. I'm not sure it really would be super useful anymore. Yeah, it's a weird, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? And then more recently, obviously, ads paying Samsung and, you know, basically if people are watching TV where they're watching the TV, uh, then you can push ads at them whilst they're watching TV. It's much better than on the tube when they're looking at, reels on Instagram or when they're unlike to subscribe to a history S1 channel on the tube on the way to work or on the subway if you're listening in the States. The last thing is creating in a small and geeky way, but creating uh, moments that, that people in your niche need to be part of, right? So like the Waterloo skeletons, you're like, hey guys, if you want to see them, they're, they're, they're over here. And it's, yeah, it's through a paywall. But I mean, I think now, luckily the stigma around, but I mean, again, 15 years ago, everyone was like, everything should be free all the time. Mm-hmm. And then we realized that was just destroying a version of the media that actually could be pretty responsible and pretty good and pretty professional. We all know what the effects that were. And that's why we have a whole range of like stuff that's free and stuff that's subscription. And, and then also after about a year or two, we'll release stuff behind our paywall onto the YouTube channel. So like, you know, you'll be able to get our content if you don't want to ever pay us a penny. And I think that's kind of, I didn't mind, that's okay. But yeah, so I think we create little moments, we partner up with people and, and that does drive people to subscribe. If you're in the history community, you're like, actually, I kind of need to see that. I need to, I'd like to see that interview with that. D-Day veteran or, or or the or the Waterloo bones or some you know sort of a thing that happens. So that, those are the, those are the sort of ways I'd say that we drive subscription. I've got this little pet theory, Dan, about what makes a successful podcast. So the, just even the very first one that you did, like in terms of just history hit, but also the whole network, and that is that no matter what your show is about, you've got to have a central philosophy, a thing that you're testing every week, the reason to come back to the show and I wondered do you have like aside from history is great let's explore history what is the thing that drives history hits and all the shows on your network we make history for super fans and that's the opposite of the old media that's the opposite of my training at the BBC which is basically look guys it's a history show count yourself lucky because we'd rather do something else and it's going on <laughs> Friday night. and also everyone hates history so make this just try and find a way to make it interesting like, that was that was that no and that's fine that's the starting point and I can understand in a kind of a very wide playing field well maybe maybe I mean I don't really agree with it but uh, you know I can that's fine that's their point of view we just come at it from a completely different angle we go there are people out there that are totally obsessed with it and we want to just be a media organisation that, and that, and that's and, and you see that across look at North American sports. I mean, I remember my 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 mum's Canadian, my Canadian family, they were all listening to like niche broadcasters about the Toronto Blue Jays, the Maple Leafs, years and years and years ago. And I remember going to Canada listening to this, thinking this is kind of weird, but of course it's right. And the internet allows you to access those super fans. They allow them to communicate with you. So that's what I think. That's what I think it is. On, on top of that personally in my, my podcast i hope that quite often it is taking it sits in between history and journalism so i hope it's taking you know, our most successful episodes are like ukraine royal brothers fighting 
a British financial crisis like we had under Liz Truss in, in the autumn fall this year, last year. And it's when you go, right, this is, this is your 25 minutes with a total don of a historian who is going to basically go, she's going to tell you exactly why Vladimir Putin thinks Eastern Ukraine is part of Russia, right? And so I really like that history. And that we, we see, that's cross genre. So you see real history fans like that. And I think you get other younger people who go, look, I think I should probably know about this. Like, what's going on with this thing? You know, you're creating a safe space for enthusiasm and enthusiasts. Uh, and, and that's what's funny about TV. Like, when I turn on the World Cup, I watch Gary Lineker having, like, in-depth discussion about the offside rule. I'm like, how come those guys don't have to, like, justify themselves to the audience? How come, you know, why, when a history show goes on the air, like, hey, everybody, sorry about this. Um, bear with us, bear with us. But it's like, actually, of course, what, what does everyone love on TV in the old days? They love Top Gear. They love the football. They love utter geeking out and kind of ridiculous. We've been, we've been given the space and the permission to to do that but and i think it's certainly our, our ancient podcast is wild like that's our ancient podcast does so well and i listen to it and i'm like this is a bit too much for me i think like you know, and, I, and i'm someone who knows my triumvirates in ancient rome but i'm like this is hardcore um but they love it people love it and again that's that's big international big international because if you live in australia and the us there just aren't geeky people i love tristan but you know like sort of geeky enthusiasts just let's get okay we're going to do the second punic war here and we're going to go deep so like buckle up and that's like so that is a global it's a it's a it's a global phenomenon you know it's great and you mentioned in passing hardcore um and of course i was just thinking about your rivals like how do you see yourselves in comparison to other history podcasts out there particularly american ones because it is a huge genre yeah, but it's, it's a huge genre, but I'm fairly convinced there's enough... You know, it's always tough when more... You know, there's loads of rivals now, and it's always like, oh, okay, another rival. Uh, mm. My view, though, is like... I mean, is there a finite... Like, are we going to hit a number of ears that... Are we going to max out? I don't know. Like, I, I have to believe that a rising tide floats all boats, and I know that when we launched, we had, I had lots of people coming going, well, I, you know, I got into history because of hardcore history, and I've found you, and I know those people have moved on to other pods now, and that's okay. I think that's okay, and... Uh, you know, that YouTube point that I was making earlier, like YouTube demonstrates you can start a channel and get to, you know, half a million subscribers in a year. That does not suggest that the market is kind of saturated, right? I, I don't think, and obviously that's because podcasts is free to listen, right? So I do think it'd be tricky if someone launched another history SVOD platform right adjacent to mm. us right now doing the same stuff. I'm like, that's a bit annoying. But <laughs> but then, they, well, you know what? Well, the other thing is, I have to say, competition makes you better. It's, I don't want to sound like an old capitalist here, but like there have been times on the pod when, We've just been like effortlessly adding loads of listeners all the time. And I've, I've got pretty lazy. Like I've been lying in bed talking to some historian on Zoom, like my eyes half closed. But, you know, and there's nothing like, you know, having a slightly lower rate of ascent to just get your, get your game on. And there's nothing like seeing other podcasts go viral. Like you're like, OK, fine. We're in a bit of a scrap, scrap here. And so weirdly, I do think it's kind of it's quite creative, actually. And it makes you want to mm. be better. You're obviously growing your audiences all the time. You're expanding to younger audiences, obviously through TikTok. I'm assuming they're younger, far younger than me anyway. I do not have a TikTok account. But then thinking about being representative of those audiences, how do you ensure diversity across your platforms, not only regarding the stories you're telling, but also the people telling them? Yeah, it's a huge... You know that's a massive part of what we're all doing at the moment, and we've you have to monitor yourself and be good at it, don't you? And 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 so we have got a pretty good gender balance. They're hosting the pods. We're going to launch another. In fact, it's been really good. We we kind of had a, a launch Kate Lister with a, I don't know how you call it. It's like a sort of sex and social history pod, and it and it skews very female. I was like nervous about launching it and I was because I didn't know if our audience would just like a bit bloke and it's done it's one of the best pods we've got now and I'm so I'm absolutely over the moon about that. Um but yeah, we and then we we're just it's all a matter of working with, you know, making sure that we've got a, a range of voices and people on the channel. Like like any organization, it's just trying to be honest with yourself and trying to trying to make progress on that front for sure. Um, and we are pretty good. We can be better, but we're pretty good. But it's but it's something obviously that we're still think we're always thinking about. And this look, especially Rihanna, when you're talking about like diversity, like especially if we when we're expanding, like what does that diversity means? It means we've got if these subscribers in the states, they need to see themselves represented and all their diversity. There. So yeah, it's a work in progress. But um, I'm I'm pretty proud of the team for what we've done so far. Mm -hmm. Where do you think history hit is going next? Do you have your eyes on anything particular that you haven't managed to cover yet with your empire, your history empire? 
you know, there's discussion around other silos. Like, do you just literally kind of go, right, we've done history. Like, do we do science or something? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's a huge project. And I think that's kind of beyond us at the moment. And it's always tempting. But it's is all- that something you'd be passionate about? Because obviously history is where you're... Yeah, that's a good point. I think that would probably... that I was about to say, actually, I think I might sort of struggle with that, whether I'd be the right person to kind of to play a leading part in that journey. I don't know. Probably not really, because it's not mm. something... I kind of know what's going on in history. I kind of feel like when I hear, see little rumblings on little weird places on Twitter where we all hang out, that there's new studies come out, new, think, new thinking about this, new thinking about that. I'm like, well, oh, okay. Well, like, I think there's something here. That wouldn't... I just wouldn't be able to perform that role in the space of science or other factual silos. So that's why it would involve really serious expansion, I think. Obviously, we've got podcast subscription coming out. We've got... AI, we've got, uh, we've got augmented reality. So, so I think it's about deepening and widening what we're doing at the moment and finding new mm. ways to reach people. So I, I think it's, it's not more land grab, but it's intensifying, it's intensifying the relationship with people that we do have. I'm slightly confused as to the kind of relationship between History Hit and Little Dot. So can you expand upon that? Do they own History yeah, Hit I, now? Yeah, I sold it to Little Dot in 2020. Yes, uh, so we we sell we sold the business and then that was great for us because suddenly you're in a bigger family. There's huge help with legal and HR and all the stuff that you need help with as a as a small startup. Uh, and then me and the creative team are kind of we're set free to to, to keep doing what we do. And the you know the good thing about working with a couple like Little Dot, I think if is that they know what they're doing in the creative world. So there's no, they don't buy companies and then make them do something different. Like they kind of buy, mm. they bought us and they're like, okay, you do what you do. Just good luck. <laughs> and do, here's the compliance. But just, don't say anything crazy, but you know, get, go for it. So they've been amazing. And it's given us a kind of certainty and security that, that has allowed us to kind of expand massively, basically. Yeah, it's been great. I'm an unusual founder because I actually kind of, I, I, you know, lots of founders found it and then want to move on. And I'm like, I want to stay. I'm actually having a great old time here. <laughs> That's partly because of the creative aspect, presumably. Like these, these are this is your name at the front of this. Yeah, what's not to like? I get to meet with a team every Monday, and we say, "What's going on this week?" And it's like, "Well, hang on, there's, there's some interesting stuff going on. Um, there's an interesting dig going on in York. Should we go and look at some Roman coffins being opened?" I'm like, "Let's do that. That's a great idea." Um, <laughs> and what an amazing, what a lucky person! Uh, and then the team all got there, and and again, it's a team they know. It's just the team from the office. So we shoot, we we direct, they we present just from the people around the table. So it's it's yeah, it's good. So I'm, I'm, yeah. It's a thrilling, it's a thrilling place to be at the moment, and we got sort of, you know, we get all the creativity with with very little stress. So you have this production meeting, which sounds brilliant because, and as you were talking about earlier, as a freelancer, that's something that I'm incredibly envious of, just to be able to get together with the same group of people week in, week out, and keep those relationships going from the social side as well. But in terms of content, um, editorial, and all the rest of it, how do you decide who gets what? Is there ever a fight over? stories who gets to cover it on their podcast or on their channel yeah that's a good point there is sometimes like awkward moments we're pretty collegiate and what we'll, so what i'll sometimes what we'll do is that we we trail the other we we repeat episodes successful episodes of the other podcasts on my podcast that's one of the ways we build their audiences so okay. sometimes i'll be like look you cat jarman dr cat jarman she's a very brilliant medievalist i'm like you take this one and then let's stick that your pod out on my feed you know, when it's in a week's time. So we all benefit enormously. Are, are they, God, I don't know. You have to ask other people in the business. They may feel I'm a total bully and like take all the best stories, but <laughs> I don't, I, I hope I don't. Do you? I, well, I don't know. You're asking the wrong guy here. I, I don't think so. I, also less and less, like, I, I, you know, especially as I also, I, I, I'm, I'm not as hungry to be on, in front of camera as I once was. So that's, so that's good. Like I'm not, and it, like we had a top 10 shows last week and I wasn't in the top 10 of all our channel. I was like thrilled by that. It was great. So I mean, that sounds, that shows you're doing something right, you know, so it's sustainable and, and, and it can go on forever. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, so, sometimes I think, I think if someone brings a, a good story in, I don't steal it. You can't steal someone else. If, if they've cultivated an amazing researcher or academic or something and they're going to get them on the pod and I just go, no, we're nicking that one. You can't, I can't do that. Like, so that, that's never <laughs> happened. We find a way to kind of amplify it. Something that I would notice on your YouTube, you know, one of your channels, is that you have something where you look at the historical accuracies or inaccuracies in films, oh, which that must be a lot of fun to do, but also a lot of work. Is that Do you have to do a lot of prep with that? Do you have to watch the films first, find out all of the detail, and then rewatch it on camera and highlight particular 
bits. Yeah, we have to watch a lot of movies, unfortunately. Like, honestly, there's a YouTube film. I, like, I'm trying to, I'm sort of casting around on YouTube for something that I can do that anyone wants to watch, and so far, not having much success. The only thing that is working is these movie reviews that just go bananas. Like, I can't tell you. So You've I've got millions like, of views millions on them. millions of views on them. I've done two of them. We're going to do a few more now, obviously. But like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I just want to do, like, explainers about the Seven Years' War in North America. And it's like, no, you can just sit there and watch Saving Private Ryan again. So we, uh, we do, yeah, we, I mean, I, yeah, we watch the films. I mean, some films I know a lot about, like, so the, some periods I'm able to do my own stuff. Others I have to research into the accuracy of the movies and stuff and read articles from the historical advisors. Yeah, it's, um, it's good fun. Yeah, it's really good fun. But perhaps not necessarily something that you want to be doing day in, day out. I think if I turn 50, like in many years' time, and, and my great imprint on this planet of ours has been he's the guy who, who reviews historical movies on YouTube. <laughs> I just think in some ways, some I have a very nice life, but in some ways I'm just not sure that it's been a, the, the best use of a life. Mm-hmm. So as long as that's just a part, we've got some other plans on YouTube this year. We're going to see if we can extend, <laughs> widen the interest of the audience. <laughs> but no, those things are absolutely bankers. It's extraordinary. Well, yeah, those, so those are huge. But then what about, um, you talked earlier about some failures, but can we just dig into those for a second? Are there things that you were really hoping would do well that perhaps didn't get the traction that you wished it had? Yeah, I mean, I think the key point is that nearly everything fails in some respect, apart from movie reviews. Because, of course, you keep thinking, (laughs) when you're in the content biz like us, I'm sure you guys feel this, you think every single one's just going to suddenly do, going to go absolutely bonkers, like that documentary about, you know, Uganda, the civil war in Uganda that just led to, sort of just made, created a kind of media empire overnight. That's not how it's going to work, though, right? You just, those things happen once in a lifetime and it's not going to be you. But yeah, so all the, whether it's the Waterloo Bones from a couple of weeks ago, I keep thinking, this is going to be the one we can think going to lead the 10 o'clock news with our content it's going to be watermarked history you know so so in a way i'm like a terrible optimist and so nearly everything doesn't work and then i just collapse pick myself up and just do the next thing and some things really really don't work and you just have no idea why and it's gutting the great thing about having your own channel is you don't you've got more more rounds in your chamber if you like so you 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 go well that really that second world war show like really didn't work if you're channel four you're like do we can the second world war for the next four years or four months no we just go oh well let's let's see if the next one does better and then if we get a run of like but so far we've never our, our failures so far have been quite random we don't seem to have like a a strange you know, that the audience absolutely hates Chinese history or absolutely hates X history. We, we've never discovered that. We've, we've had sort of like episodes that haven't done well and we thought, like, why is that? And then we'll have a similar episode that'll do fantastically. So you're like, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's... Mm. So, so, yeah, so lots of things fail. And I think you should not panic. Like, I think the traditional broadcasters used to panic quite heavily when things fail. They're like, right, we're not doing any more boats for years to come. And you're like, all right. Whereas we're just like... Mm, now, why did that fail? And was it luck, or is there something else? And and should we try something again? Let's let's test it again, and then you, you test it again. So, and that's the joy of having your own smaller platform where you're a bit more agile. Things cost less. You can make you can put a few more chips on the board. You're not. It must be very stressful. Again, if you're on Netflix, you make you make one history show a year. And if it doesn't work, you're like, I hate it. that history is never happening again. You know, like if you know you make one really expensive million dollar an episode bonkers history show every year. And if it doesn't work, you've, you, you know, you're all going to pay for it. and Everyone's going to get annoyed in the boardroom and all that kind of stuff. That's just not what we're doing. You know, so we don't we don't have those kind of we don't take those gambles. Maybe we should. I sometimes do wonder whether we should do like a house of cards. You know, when you put the you bet the farm on house of cards. Like, yeah, early days of Netflix. Yeah. And they just they just bet the farm on it. And they went, let's just let's just make the most expensive drama ever made, even though we've got no money and see what happens. Like, I, I do sometimes wonder, like, if we went down that route of going, let's make the ultimate story of the Second World War or of uh, American history or something, 20 parts, like break ourselves to do it. And then that's kind of, we just hope that that attracts lots of new subscribers. But I I wonder that we're never going to do that. It's too risky. But uh, I I think at the moment we're just able to, we're able to spread ourselves out a bit more. So failure doesn't, is not ever the end of the world. So I know this is a, a podcast about podcasting, but I'm tempted to ask if you were suddenly magically given the role of like head of factual at the BBC, BBC television, what would you take from what you've done on the outside back to the Beeb to make it, you know, different and better in terms of history programming? 
Whoa, that's a crazy and unexpected question. Uh, and Matt, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, like, I have no idea. I don't think I could do a better job than them. It's a nightmare. Can you imagine being at the BBC? You've got politicians, you've got chairman doing this, you've got people saying you should be more commercial, less commercial, more popular, less popular. Your scheduler puts things against some, like, Champions League game on the ITV. You're like, this is just miserable. Like, it's miserable. I, I, sure. But in history terms. I guess I'd say, I, I think the key, one thing I have learned, and this is a, it's a, it's a trite thing to say, but it's true is like you've got to let you've just got to let creatives run a bit more wild and and therefore you've got to have some failures because some of the programs are going to be a bit weird and not very good but attempting to like squeeze everything into a with with a kind of hierarchy and expensive because higher-ups are quite expensive and and therefore when they're rewriting scripts you're like that's actual money that you could have spent on flying to you know Machu Picchu and taking a cool drone flight around it or something so I would say just put devolve decision making a bit lower except then that you're going to have some dodgy shows because one of those producers you've talked to might be a bit rubbish but then of course but then you're also going to create some absolutely astonishing things because they're going to be slightly less cookie cutter because they won't have gone through the machine quite as much but that's what I would say uh, and that's what we try and do at History we try and make sure that people at the coal face are people who come up with the ideas are able to write them shoot them get edit them get them on the air and then, you know, yeah, sometimes a grown-up comes in and goes, I think we could have been a bit better. But the fact is, we, it's, a bit, it's creative. It's a bit, you know, it's, that's, that's, what, that's what I think. But, uh, but I don't envy those people at all. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. That was brilliant, fascinating, really in-depth. And congratulations again on the success of History here. What an incredible inspiration it is. Well, Rihanna and Matt, thanks so much for having me. I'm honoured to be on. Thanks so much for joining me in that interview, Matt. You asked some really interesting questions that I would have... No, I don't know where you pull them from. They're brilliant. And they always make the interviewee kind of really think. Yeah, I can tell you now, it comes from a place of massive insecurity. Uh, <laughs> and and a, sense, a sense of everyone always doing slightly better than you are. So uh, so I'm only ever speaking from a place of, of absolute... Uh, uh, jealousy. Yeah, je- <laughs> professional jealousy. Professional yeah. jealousy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See you back here next week for more professional jealousy. <laughs> that was a really interesting chat. Um, Adam, what did you kind of take away from it? apart from the fact that apparently history is one of the most successful genres that you can talk about in podcasting now, apparently. Yeah, well, one of the things that immediately jumped out at me was uh, he mentioned that the History Hit website gets a million uniques a week, I think. Which What's a unique? is just uh, like a unique visit, like a page view, basically. Oh, right. So they have a million different people every week coming to the, the History Hit website, which is crazy numbers um but also the the most encouraging thing about it was just how much fun it seems like he's having yes like podcasting is an inherently fun medium to work in but dan snow was one of the most (laughs) joyful podcasters i think i've ever i think i've ever listened to it's really interesting as well how much of his audience is us based particularly the subscribers and yes that is something which you know in a way a lot of british podcast production houses need to make a bit of a choice as to whether they're creating content for domestic audiences or whether they're going after the more established american market and there is a very Mm. long history of course of like you know for example in the film and tv industries of british creatives being really good at their craft but Mm. essentially making it for hollywood or Mm. or whoever and i think there's a there's a chance that might happen here i'm not saying that's inherently Mm. a good or bad thing but you know there are choices to be made about the kind of content we want to make and who it's for it's interesting that dan was talking about having sold essentially the ip to little dot studios and that seems to have Mm. coincided with as he put it you know the happiest time that he's ever been in his career do you think that that is (laughs) we should have asked how much he sold it for um do do you think that is about the kind of lack of admin that he has to do because i guess for most podcasters they're having to kind of do absolutely everything so he gets to offload while still being creative director and still doing the thing that he loves the most and i wonder if that makes a huge difference when it comes to 
as you say, being one of the most joyful, enthused people that we've ever spoken to. <laughs> I'd imagine so. I mean, it's all the fun bits of running a podcast network with, I imagine, a lot less of the stress, a lot less of the admin, and a lot less of the responsibility, mm. ultimately. Because now, if, you know, something happens in history hit, starts to, you know, starts to tank and, and lose money, suddenly that's not just his sole kind of problem and responsibility to deal with, you know, there is a lot of that that's now abstracted away by being part of a larger brand. And of course, there are often strings attached to being part of a larger organization. You know, indeed, that's part of why a lot of people seem to be leaving the BBC, for mm -hmm. example. But I think there is a, a sweet spot where you have a level of support, but you don't have quite as much kind of red tape as it were. It doesn't always make sense for mm. um, every great idea to build their own company around it. You know, I mean, if everyone did that, the amount of people reinventing the same office procedures, mm -hmm. you know, sort of mm. like having to invent their own, uh, you know, bonus payment structures or whatever, when you could happily be able to use existing infrastructure by a larger company, you know, sometimes that is the, the better situation to be in. But it doesn't work for everyone. And actually, you know, your culture does change when you come into a larger organization and so it's really great that dan and his team have found a culture you know with little dot and i think they're who are in turn owned by all three media that that kind of chimes and works really well so you you know that's that's part of the the gamble that you take and i think arguably that's probably dan's big one big risk well, Matt, you've got uh, some kind of fairly recent uh, experience of of that very thing, having sold the podcast awards yes. to Haymarket not that long ago. Exactly. And I have to say the culture at Haymarket is excellent. I have to say that. <laughs> it's in the contract. <laughs> Blink twice if you're being held against your will. Oh, my God. <laughs> Actually making me choke. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Matt and Adam, for joining me. And of course, thank you to our special guest, Dan Snow, for joining me to talk all about podcast networks and history podcasts. And of course, the British Podcast Awards, which is just launching. Um, you can find out more on podpod.com, all about that. And you, if you sign up to our daily email bulletins, you will never miss an episode of PodPod because we'll always be there to remind you. Bit threatening. Yeah, I know. Do subscribe and... Uh, rate us and uh, <laughs> um, we would really love to hear from you as well if there's anything that you want us to cover here at pod pod or any questions that you have please do get in touch the podcast is produced by emma corsham for haymarket business media and i've been your host rihanna dylan and i will see you won't i next week bye pod, 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 pod.